Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at theyogahour at unityonlineradio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Good morning and welcome to the Yoga Hour, a time to open our hearts and minds to the infinite. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien while she's away. Today I'll be sharing some insights and time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga. Yoga is a Sanskrit word that is familiar to many people today, maybe even most people today. But many people have a very narrow idea of yoga as just representing the physical uh, postures. And yoga is actually a much broader system. Yoga, the word yoga itself is a Sanskrit word that means oneness, union, or unity. The bringing together of our attention and awareness with our essential spiritual nature to be restored to our original wholeness. Yoga is a a wide system, including philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. And today, our topic is craft your glorious life. How do we find our true purpose, that path in the world that allows us to bring forth all of our strengths? How do we discover and pursue the calling of our innermost self? My guest today is Stephen Cope, who is a psychotherapist, a national best-selling author, and Kripalu yoga teacher. He's the founder and former director of the Kripalu Institute for Extraordinary Living and the author of um, the books Yoga and the Quest for the True Self and The Great Work of Your Life. He was named by Yoga Journal as one of the top 25 innovators in yoga in America in the last quarter of a century. You can find out more about Stephen Cope at the website Kripalu, that's K-R-I-P-A-L-U dot org. Welcome, Stephen Cope. I'm delighted that you could join us today on the Yoga Hour. Thanks, Laurel. Very good to be here. Uh, I have to say I have a little cold going on, so please excuse my occasional clearing my throat. 
Oh, no problem. Uh, it's that time of year, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it so is, before yeah, we, especially out here. <laughs> yeah, before we enter into our dialogue about how to craft your glorious life, let's begin with practicing a moment of meditation. Om. Let's begin by turning our attention within. Our breath is a wonderful tool to help us bring our attention and awareness to the present, wherever we are and whatever we're doing. So let's start by taking a fully conscious breath, just noticing as we inhale and exhale. Not trying to change the breath, just noticing its natural flow. Cool air entering the nostrils and warm air flowing out. In this moment, we can dive within and open our heart to the divine. One reality, called by many names, is the source and substance of all that is. Right where we are, right here and now, This divine essence is present as you, as me, as everyone. Within us, between us, and all around us. Just by being present now and noticing, we can rest in this essence of our being. We notice thoughts and feelings as they arise and as they pass away. We become aware of our essential nature beyond words and thoughts, beyond all change, beyond thought and sensation. Pure existence being. We feel the peace that emanates from the essence of our being. We allow it to pervade the mental field, the emotional nature, and the physical body. We abide in this peace and let it overflow as blessing for all beings everywhere. Once again, Stephen Cove, welcome to the Yoga Hour. Thanks, Laurel. That was beautiful meditation. I think it's always nice to to start that way and just to take that moment just to be centered before we begin. You know, it really is. And we we at Kripalu start all of our meetings that way, and it's amazing what a difference it makes. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, The same is true at at CSE, and I actually would then uh, go to meetings at CSE. I was on the board of directors for many years, and then I would go Uh, into my work life, and I'd go to another meeting that didn't do that. And and it is. It's quite remarkable what a difference it makes. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 
So, so Dharma. Today we're going to be talking about Dharma. And Dharma is a Sanskrit term with many meanings. It can mean life purpose, support, or the way we live in harmony with natural and spiritual law. So like the term yoga, which I mentioned earlier, the term dharma is rich and deep, ultimately pointing to a spiritually conscious way of living. It deals with the fundamental question we have, how do we live our life in the highest way, and how do we live a soul-guided life? So you've written extensively on this topic, so what does dharma mean to you? Well, you know, as you said, Laurel, it's it's one of those beautiful many-layered Sanskrit words that um, that has many facets, like a jewel. It, it can mean uh, truth or path or teaching or law. But in the Bhagavad Gita, the great scripture of the Bhagavad Gita, um, it always means sacred duty or true calling. Um, and in in the book that you and I are going to be discussing. Uh, this is the particular meaning of dharma. The, the root of dharma comes from DHR, uh, which means to hold together. Um, and so in, in this particular view, it's our, it's our sacred calling or duty that holds together not only our own life, but society at large. Uh, and I've, I've really come to love the word dharma. There's no real... English translation for it. It's one of those words that is its own thing. Yes. And um, you have written, as I said, very extensively about this. So how did you first become interested in the concept of Dharma? Well, um, I, I first became interested in, in Dharma as sacred duty after reading the Bhagavad Gita because I've been a meditation practitioner and a yogi for many, many years, and I discovered partway through my life that I wasn't really called to the full path of, um, so let's say, Raja Yoga, which is, of course, organized around the great Yoga Sutra, um, and that rather than living a life of kind of asceticism and withdrawal and quiet, which is really where the teaching of that great scripture inevitably leads you, I discovered that I'm really much more called to be in the world, to be living an active life. And I discovered this great scripture, the Bhagavad Gita, the, the Song of God, which is probably the most well-known yoga scripture in, in India. Uh, and I yes. discovered that, lo and behold, it, it's all about how to live a passionate life in the world, in your calling, uh, a life of transformation that's just as deep as the earlier yogis thought, thought um, asceticism of, and withdrawal was. But it's kind of a, a brilliant reframe of a spiritual life. And at the very center of it is this notion of dharma, of sacred duty, sacred vocation. So that really lit me up, and I was uh, I decided to write a book because writing a book, if you're really interested in something, writing a book is a great way to learn about it. You have to learn about it, then you teach it, and yeah. you keep learning the different layers, and it's fantastic. Yeah. So um, there is uh, this more universal goal of Dharma that we've been talking about. Um, and then there's also our own individual unique 
purpose, which is called svadharma. So, um, how do, how do those two relate to each other? This is a really interesting, and I don't think terribly well understood uh, component, which is that in this particular view, there is a profound relationship between your particular idiosyncratic dharma and the dharma of the whole, the good of the whole. I like to talk um, about the great teaching of, of the Vedic dispensation um, called Indra's Net. So this is just a great illustration of, of what Dharma means. Indra was, of course, the great god of the Vedic pantheon. And like all of these gods, he lived on a mountain. He lived on Mount Meru. And it was said that Indra had cast a vast net over the entire universe and that at the warp and woof strand, at the vertex of each strand in this vast net was a gem. That gem is an individual soul, and it's that individual soul's duty, responsibility to hold together that part of the net by being fully and idiosyncratically itself. From the very beginning of this teaching, then, we get this sense of how the individual duty to hold together his or her part of the net is connected to the whole, whole thing. Because if you, um, if you shirk your particular calling, then the net begins to unravel from your spot. So right away we get this beautiful connection between individual dharma, idiosyncratic dharma, and the universal and, and the social good. Um, and... I, I love that because what it means is whatever your true calling is, you know, if it's being a stamp collector, then you need to be the very best stamp collector you can be. And there's the mystic law is that that your action is required to hold together and to uplift the whole. So, again, from the beginning, we have this beautiful connection between the individual good, individual fulfillment, and the fulfillment of the whole. I love that image of Indra's net. I mean, to me, it's just so beautiful and really gives you this, you know, this just poetic understanding and of the importance of, of us each um, finding that, you know, great work of our life. So in the book, you quote the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas that says, if you bring forth that which is in you, it will save you. If you do mm. not bring forth what is within you, it will destroy you. So, that. yeah. So, would you please share with our audience how this quote impacted you in fulfilling your svadharma? Well, you know, what it presents us with, first of all, is the fact that this notion of dharma, this notion of uh, true calling, uh, is is universal. The the um, Gospel of Thomas, obviously, is one of the non-canonical Gospels in the in the Christian Church. Um, but he's basically saying the same thing. And what I love about this quote is the urgency of it. Mm. So, if you, just listen to the words, if you bring forth what is within you, that special gift that's in you, it will save you. And then the, the, the second half, the corollary, if you do not bring it forth, it will destroy you. There's the urgency. You know, the Buddha used to teach practice as if your hair were on fire. That's how yeah. important <laughs> this is. 
This right. is important to not just to you, but to the whole world that you mm-hmm. find your true nature and live it out. And Thoreau, I, Thoreau's one of the people that I write about in my book, and he said, we must always be on the path of our true nature, for it is the acting out of our true nature in the world that connects our lives to the divine. And there again is the urgency. So Thoreau was so wonderfully urgent about all this that, you know, he went to Walden Pond for two and a half years and leapt off the cliff, took a lot of risks to find his true nature, his true calling. So that particular quote from from the Gospel of Thomas just brings in the practice with your hair on fire quality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the other one I like, the other quote I like, which I, I don't have in front of me, but I think it was Isadora Duncan who talked about the dance, you know, that we we each have a dance that we only we can do. Um, and uh, it, it may not have the urgency of this one, but I think it's just this, this other beautiful way of thinking about it. It's our, um, it is our duty, really, to bring forth that, um, you know, that which is within us, like this quote exactly. that we've been talking and- about says. And that if we don't again, do it, no one else can. No one else can. Else There's can. something unique about us and our, our exactly. set of strengths and abilities that is not replicated yeah. by, any, by anybody else. Absolutely. And so, you know, this notion that we have a duty to that just really appeals. I think we feel the truth of it. You know, Carol Pearson, great Jungian psychologist, said, we each have a responsibility to our gifts. And that's another way of really talking about Dharma from a Jungian perspective. Yes, yeah, the responsibility to to bring it forth, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know about you, but I feel that, I feel the truth of that, and the the people that I speak with and and teach also seem to feel it. It's it's in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're, uh, let's go. Let's go ahead and go to the break because I, I have a lot of other things I want to talk to you about, um, and in the uh, second section. So you're listening to the Yoga Hour with a special guest Stephen Pope, the author of Yoga and the Quest for the True Self, as well as the book we're discussing today, The Great Work of Your Life. You can find out more about Stephen Cope at the website kripalu.org. That's K-R-I-P-A-L-U dot org. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. And when we come back from the break, we'll explore some really, I think, essential tips for finding your dharma. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. Have you asked your soul what it wants? 
Or are you so busy meeting the needs of everyone else, family, friends, children, bosses, that you haven't checked in with the part of you that matters most? Janet Connor asked this question and received an answer. Your soul wants five things. That's it. Five things. Your soul wants to connect with source, commit to values, serve a purpose, express itself creatively, and last, it longs to create a beautiful, abundant life. Janet Connor teaches five wisdom habits that meet those needs. You can take each course separately or register for the complete Your Soul Wants Five Things series and receive $1,000 in bonuses for free. Visit JanetConnor.com and explore all five courses in her signature series, Your Soul Wants Five Things. Your soul will thank you. of spiritually conscious living start now for a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential tune in to the yoga hour living the eternal way with yogacharya ellen grace o'brien every thursday morning at 10 a.m central 8 a.m pacific only on unity online radio the voice of an awakening world Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for the Yoga Hour's regular host, Yogacharya O'Brien. My guest today is Stephen Cope, psychotherapist, national best-selling author, and Kripalu yoga teacher. He's the founder and former director of the Kripalu Institute for Extraordinary Living, and you can find out more about Stephen at the website kripalu.org, which is K-R-I-P-A-L-U.org. So, Stephen, the subtitle of your book is A Guide for the Journey to Your True Calling. And sometimes we think that our true calling has to be something spectacular, impacting the world (laughs) in a a big way. But really, that's not true for most of us. It's simply, yeah, it's simply finding what we individually are here to do and how we can contribute to the world, play our role, as we were discussing earlier, as our little jewel, you know, in the net of Indra. Um, So, in the book, uh, you offer five tips or questions to ask ourselves, which can really help us find our, our dharma, our spa dharma, our personal dharma, or life work. And I think they're great questions to reflect on. So the first question is, what lights you up? So how did you first become aware of what ignited the fire within you? Well, let me just backtrack for a second to underline what you how you introduced this, because this idea, I, I call this, by the way, the romance of dharma, the, the notion that your dharma has to be big and grandiose and world-changing, you know, and I, like the, the idea is you have to leave your job selling insurance and move to Paris to paint. Um, <laughs> right. every, some of us do, but most of us will find that we're actually, 
we've already planted ourselves somewhere in the vicinity of our dharma. And so a lot of the work I find as I, as I work with people around dharma is just aiming. It's, it's aiming and claiming and naming what precisely your dharma is. Because we talked in the last segment about the connection between the precision of your idiosyncratic dharma and the good of the whole. So one, the, the list that you've just given us is, are uh, what I call fingers pointing at dharma. They're not dharma, but they're, they're ways to help us investigate and discern this realm. And, and one of them is this whole question of, of lit upness. What lights you up? What turns you on? This is, this is a very energetic connection with something and it may surprise us. It may surprise others. We may think that this isn't something that I shouldn't be lit up by or my parents don't think that this is the way I should go with my career. But pay attention. I, I like to say the whole world is a big Rorschach test. What do you see in the world? What fascinates you? Go toward that. So for me, for example, in my writing, I discovered that I'm fascinated by the challenge of translating a complex spiritual uh, principle or document like the Yoga Sutra or the Bhagavad Gita into mainstream, highly narrative language. There's something about that puzzle that absolutely lights me up, and enough so that I can spend four years. I I just finished my fifth book. Every one of them has taken four years to write. And, you know, I like to say that uh, Dharma really always eventuates in some kind of mastery, and we don't really have the energy to master anything if we don't have the true, authentic, lit-upness connection, energetic mm. connection with it. Mm. So scan the world. Scan the, the domain that you've already found yourself in. Okay, maybe you are selling insurance. Here's an example. I did a, uh, a lovely dinner a couple weeks ago with a group of high-flying financiers on, on Wall Street. And one of the guys raised his hand and he said, you know, nobody's really called to be a hedge fund manager. I don't think that's anybody's calling. But he said, as a hedge fund manager, I discovered within my domain uh, a particular calling. And for him it was helping his field in finance to figure out how they went over the cliff in 2008 when the financial meltdown happened and how they can avoid that happening again. So within his field, now within the domain that where he already was, he was close to his dharma, but he trued it up by finding out within that domain what really lit him up. And it was the sense of responsibility uh, and ethical practice. And so he pulled together a whole group of men and women who were also in, interested in that. And he said, now I am so lit up. I'm still in the same field. But essentially what he did was to aim and claim his dharma right where he was. Uh-huh. Um, so, again, it's, it's just very energetic. That is just really beautiful, and I, and I love this. You know, there's a lot of ways you could have said this. You know, you could have said like, "Well, what's your passion?" But this idea yeah. of this energetic connection, which I think the, the idea of what lights you up, you know, that that light 
that, you know, that fire, um, it is a really important one. But for some people, it's confusing because they say, I have many things that light me up. So how do I choose the right, right one? Exactly. There it is. That's the issue. And so the issue you're pointing to now, Laurel, is really the issue of discernment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because as I investigated Dharma, I discovered that among the various mainstream spiritual practices and religion, the, the Catholic tradition came up with a lot of guidelines around discernment of vocation. Now, huh. it is true that a lot of that was meant to teach people who, who were discerning their, their possible vocation around priesthood, but it applies to all of us. And I, I love what they point to. First of all, take it slowly investigate systematically, find out what lights you up, try it on. There's always that coaching. Try it on. Give it a little try. I, you know, as you probably know from my books, I was a psychotherapist in Boston for many years, and I had this nagging sense that I was called to a deeper spiritual life. And so I tried it on. I took a three-month sabbatical from my practice in Boston I came out here to Kripalu, which is the largest yoga center in America, and I just did it for three months. I needed to try it out before I torpedoed my entire life. So it turned out I was one of those guys who did need to leave, you know, and go to Paris and paint, as it were, (laughs) metaphorically speaking. Um, So try it on. Also, get a lot of feedback. This is another thing that they do in, in the Catholic tradition, which is they have spiritual directors. They, you know, this is what I call the mirror. There are parts of our psyches and our gifts that we don't really have a clear perspective on. And in order to have that, we need other people's eyes on us and psyches on us. So, I like to say there there are parts of the body that you will never see with your own eyes. The small of your back, you will only ever see with a mirror. Likewise, there are parts of your gifts, there are parts of your talents, there are parts of your calling that you need to have seen by others and, in effect, seen into being. Because eventually we, we learn to see ourselves with the eyes with which we're seen. So that's another major point. So try it on. Uh, check it out with your friends. Have Get some guidance around it. Um, and the, the final thing I'd say in, in that particular list is, you know, it's very often a step-by-step process. So in, in my book, I examine many great lives, 11 great lives. And one of the things I see is that the the culmination of really having a great life, like Robert Frost, for example, one of America's greatest poets, if you look at his life in retrospect, you see that it's made up of dozens of small, well-thought-through steps that moved him toward a full life in poetry. Mm-hmm. You know, so he began as a teacher, and he had a little time for poetry, and then he felt pulled even deeper. He bought a farm in Derry, New Hampshire, and that's where he wrote. Finally, he had to go to England to, to leave everything behind to write, to just write for two years. Mm-hmm. So 
in our own lives, the same is true. Pay attention to what's calling you today. Make discerning choices that move you closer to that, that brightly burning fire that you feel at the core. And eventually, you know, we'll, we'll, like I'm, I'm 67 and I look at my life in retrospect and it makes sense now, but at the time, some of the choices I made that I felt were quite authentic didn't seem like they might add up to a big dharma. So we're dealing here with a, a tapestry that we can only see a small part of. And so I really advise people to focus on today and this week and and this month and make those little steps that move you toward authenticity. And in the long run, that adds up to a life of dharma. That is just such, so well put, just so beautifully put, Stephen. And I, I have, uh, I have uh, tried to explain that I, when I talk to people. Um, for some reason, well, maybe because my my kids are in their twenties now. I have two sons, oh. and so they're yeah. you know as they go through college, this is a big question for them, right? You know, it's like, well, you know, like what what do I want to do, and you know, what life yeah. do I want to have? Yeah. And 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 when I talk to people that are you know struggling with this, you know, I re- I really try Try and give them that same advice that you just did, which is, you know, don't try and figure out the ultimate, you know, goal. It's just like what you need to right. see is you need to see the next step, you know. Yeah. And I ended up in my career in a path that um, I am, I'm a physician, a general internal uh, medicine physician, but I ended yeah. up in quality improvement because my my deepest calling at, at that time in my life was really to yeah. um, to try and improve the system. But, you, you know, go. if you'd asked me, if you'd asked me, like, when I was applying to medical school, like, what do you want to do? I would have had no idea, you know, that yes. that's where I would have yes. ended up. Exactly. And, and part of it is, is the living part of the process is that when you do something, I love this, uh, this word, authenticity, when you take that authentic next mm. step, then there are opportunities that do come your way. Um, which gets us, you know, I think maybe we're jumping ahead, you know, looking up for the doors that open. But there are, yes. there are things that are open, you know, th- some things that, you know, that come to you along the path that are very, you know, you can't predict in a million years <laughs> what, exactly. what, what will come if you take that step toward authenticity. So I love, I love that, uh, that word and that guidance. And, you know, I, in the book and, and often I quote Robert Frost on this topic because he was so interested in what he called crossroads. So his great poem, Two Roads Diverged in the Yellow Wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. I took the one less traveled by. Um, he's very interested in these moments, like perhaps your sons, when they come to a crossroads. Well, should I go left or should I go right? And very often, you know, as I say in the book, uh, doubt is the great, uh, tormentor of the active life and the dharmic life. Doubt, doubt is called the paralyzing affliction and sometimes the invisible affliction. So take your sons. It's easy for us to come to that crossroads, put our folding chair down in the middle of it, and never get up again. Mm-hmm. And what Frost is actually saying in in his great poem, Two Roads Diverged in a Yellow Wood, is you got to take one of them and Actually, if you read under the surface of that poem, he says that at certain moments, it doesn't matter. You just have to act. 
and you you act as best you can in the service of your authentic life. He says, way leads on to way, and I probably will never come back again to that same crossroads. Um, but um, but but take an action. Yes, and this has just been uh, it's such a you know beautiful conversation so far. So coming back, let's just do a recap. So we started uh, to talk about these five you know questions, and we started with what lights you up, and then we we kind of covered you know what are my gifts and how you sometimes you we have a difficult time identifying our gifts, yeah, and we may need to ask those who know us. So I think I think that's great. And then we talked also about about the um, you know looking for doors that are that are opening. So. One of the other questions, though, is what duties are you drawn to? So what advice do you give someone who's trying to discern the duties that they are drawn to? You know, this is so important because, honestly, we have other voices telling us to follow our bliss, which is kind of what I'm saying with, with what lights you up. But the mm-hmm. question of duty now is is, is a harder question. It It forces us to call on some deeper deeper ardency down there underneath the surfaces of, of lit up. I like to say that duty is the thing that if you do not do it, you will feel a profound sense of self-betrayal. Mm. So this came up for me this last week. It was Thanksgiving. I had a packed Thanksgiving, and I have a, some dear friends who dearly wanted me to come and spend the day with them and, and do their barn dance, which they have every year. And you know, I didn't really want to do it. I was tired. And I said to my friend Susie, I said, how do you know, how do you know how long your duty to old friends extends? Mm. And she said to me, just what I would have said to her, she said, how will you feel if you don't do it? Mm. And instantly I realized this was a duty and I did it. And I'm so glad I did it. And Mm. And actually, I did get lit up on the way down. Um, so, again, this is a question of discernment. Uh, it, and, and this is not a science. This is really an art. And, and I should say that in regard to the question of discernment, mm-hmm. our yoga and meditation practice profoundly helps us to stay attuned to our subtle energy, to our subtle mind, to that part of the mind that knows, that sees expansively, you know, what we call vidya, knowing, seeing how it is. So I always say to people, if you really want to hone your discernment about your duties, your gifts, your your lit-upness, find a practice that systematically cultivates your knowing, your capacity to to know. I am so glad that you that you mentioned that because I was thinking the exact same thing. You know, we've talked a couple of times now about the importance of discernment. And, yes. you know, that it sounds like, well, everybody kind of knows what that is, you know. But then, well, we'll you know, there aren't, uh, I think in, in general, in society, there aren't really accepted ways of realizing that we can actually hone our discernment. We can actually get, you know, get get better at it. And that one of the practices for me certainly has been meditation. And it's not yeah. that I sit yeah. down and meditate and I think about whatever problem I'm trying to solve because that doesn't no. work. <laughs> 
doesn't result no. in a good meditation. But um, a lot of times, it it um, the the, the uh, tapping into my inner resources through meditation then carries into the rest of my life. And so I I have that clarity that I can that it was something that I'm struggling with, it's easier to cut through what isn't important and focus on what is truly important, you know, when I have an active, steady, uh, regular meditation practice. So I did want to put my plug in to our listeners about that. Oh, I'm so glad you did because, you know, in, in my field, this is only just beginning to gain momentum. The idea that there's a much vaster bandwidth of of knowing. And by knowing, I don't mean knowing the state capitals. I mean a a kind of knowing where I would say, you know, I really know Laurel. Even after just an hour talking with her, I have a sense that I know her. So our bandwidth of, of knowing is so much vaster than our Western paradigms actually give credence to. I know, and I'm you're beginning to see in psychology conferences where I hang out some early references to this expanding of our uh, cognitive and behavioral repertoires. And um, that's what yoga does. And that's what meditation does. I even felt it in our our beginning meditation today. Mm -hmm. I calmed down. I quieted down. I got a sense of connection with this material and with you. There it is, bam, five minutes. Yes, I know. And uh, there is this sense that often people say, and I know I'll, I'll own it. I have said it in the past. I'm just too busy. But it really doesn't take mm. that long. Uh, and we do have tools at our disposal every minute. So that fully conscious breath that we started the meditation with um, is just a wonderful tool anytime, you know, during your day to just take that fully conscious breath. And that, exactly. that there's no excuse. There's no excuse for not doing that because we're breathing anyway. <laughs> so. Exactly. And what, what we know now is that if you do that regularly and systematically, it actually changes the brain. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it expands our connection with the prefrontal cortex, and which is the seat of discernment, actually. Mm-hmm. So we know now that, that our brains and nervous systems are so plastic and so malleable to these kinds of practices. And um, so, yeah, there's my plug. <laughs> so let's turn to another question, um, which maybe isn't so fun as fun to think about as, as um, you know, what lights you up. But what are your challenges? So we might get confused and think that Dharma lies only with our gifts, uh, that if something is difficult for us, it can't possibly be our Dharma. But the opposite may be true. Our, our challenges may be what we need to work through uh, and grow spiritually. So exactly. living our Dharma is not, not always about just succeeding. Um, and the Gita even has a quote about this. So um, better is one's own duty, though imperfectly performed. Then the duty of another performed well. Better is defeat in one's own duty, for to follow another's path is to invite difficulty. So I just think that is such a beautiful 
quote, and very reassuring because no matter what your, you know, your life path is, you are going to find challenges. So here's this wonderful gift really of saying, you know, stick with it because even if it's something that you feel that you're not performing perfectly, it is what is yours to do. And that's more important than doing someone else's, even if you can do it better. Absolutely. And this is, you know, I said it earlier, your life is a tapestry which you only see a very small part of. If you're mining along that vein of ore that is your dharma, it has mystic power and meaning, and that may or not may not be mirrored by any kind of outward success. So I'll, I'll give you an example that I'm experiencing right now. I just finished a new book. My last book was very successful. That was lovely. I felt when I start a four-year book project, it's because I have a great deal of certitude that that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So I just finished a new book. I have no idea how well it will do in the marketplace, but I do know that that's the book I was called to write. I do know that I brought everything I had to it. I turned it over to a higher power. That's my dharma. Now, how it does in the marketplace is really kind of none of my business. And that's precisely what Krishna says to Arjuna. This is called uh, relinquishing the fruits. Let go Mm -hmm. of the outcome. Take on your dharma. Let go of the outcome because clinging and grasping to the outcome uh, definitely interferes with your capacity to bring your whole self to it. If I... If I sit down at my computer and I say, okay, I really need this next paragraph to be a Pulitzer Prize winner, that grasping <laughs> actually takes me out of the moment and out of my real connection to the material. So it's, it's a brilliant third pillar on the path. I think we talked about this more last time, but you know the, the four pillars that I like to pull out of the Gita are Number one, find your dharma, discern it. Number two, do it with passion. Bring everything you've got to it. Thirdly, let go of the outcome because that's none of your business and that just gets in the way. And finally, turn it over to something bigger than yourself, something vaster than yourself. Uh, and but, but that third one called relinquish the fruits is huge for most people and mm-hmm. a lot of people like I every summer I train a whole group of America's top young musicians and I teach them the Gita mm-hmm. and they're freaked out that they have to let go of success um, it turns out that once they get this once they get that letting go of clinging and grasping actually frees them to live into their music much more fully I now get cards and notes from all over the world from these kids Mm. saying, you know, I just sang my first Messiah at the Paris Opera, and I did exactly what you suggested. I I planted my feet. I took a breath. I envisioned myself as Arjuna doing his Dharma, and I let it rip. And Mm. there it is. It was fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, that, that is a lovely, lovely story. So unbelievably, Stephen, we've come to the last few minutes, and I did want to give you a chance in closing just to, just to you know, share whatever words of encouragement or inspiration you'd like to share with our listeners in this last, say, two minutes of the program. 
Well, I, I, again, I want to go to my list of cautions, I think, because people have this erroneous notion that there's one dharma in your life that you have to find, and then you'll have found the, the Holy Grail. But actually, dharma is very fluid. It changes over a lifetime. So it does require us, as Thoreau said, to constantly be on the trail of our deepest nature. Um, and so know that dharmas change. We can have multiple dharmas. I mean, I, I have a whole administrative dharma here at Kripalu that yeah. I work out at the same time as I work with my writing. Um, be careful of the romance of dharma. You know, I, I wrote one chapter on Thoreau where I said, think of the small as large. So Thoreau um, thought of himself as a very small person. He said, I have traveled extensively in Concord, in other words, in his little town. And yet, oh. from there, he changed the world. So think of the small as large. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's just really, really lovely. So you've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien, and we've been discussing Craft Your Glorious Life with special guest Stephen Cope, psychotherapist, national best-selling author, and Kripalu yoga teacher. Um, his uh, book that we've been discussing today is The Great Work of Your Life, and he is also, as he mentioned, the author of other books, um, and has been named by Yoga Journal as one of the top 25 innovators in yoga in America in the last quarter of a century. You can find out more about Stephen at the website kripalu.org. That's K-R-I-P-A-L-U.org. So once again, Stephen Cope, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Total pleasure, Laurel. I, I'll, uh, I'll look forward to, to being back with you on the next round. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> so uh, for listeners, there is a, a previous episode with Stephen Cope in the Yoga Hour archive at unity.fm, and that was from December 5th, 2013, um, Discover Your Dharma and Do It on Purpose, Inspiration from the Gita in Great Lives. So the easiest way to find these episodes is to search on the Yoga Hour archive page for Stephen Cope's name. And it's S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Stephen, and then Cope, C-O-P-E. Join us next week for an encore episode, Healthy Holidays, Flourishing Festivity, with guest Dr. Vivek Schonbag. And the original air date was uh, in December of last year. So for those listening in December 2016, you can join Yogacharya O'Brien at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment for the New Year's Meditation Retreat, December 29th through January 1st. For more information, check the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment's website at csecenter.org. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritual, to live a spiritually conscious, fulfilled life in today's world. And again, the website is csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour at iTunes or Stitcher and I look forward to being with you again when Yogacharya O'Brien is away. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. ever noticed that when you cheat or lie or don't support a friend and then realize what you've done, an inner alarm goes off? It's a kind of moral wake-up call. You know you've done wrong and you don't feel good about it or about yourself. By experiencing the emotions and accepting the consequences of what we've done, we can begin to accept and change ourselves. When you know you've done wrong, admit the truth, even if it's only to yourself and one other person, perhaps a counselor or minister. Then, if there's a way to make amends, to set the situation right, do so and clear the air. Finally, renew your commitment to live in your own integrity. When you do, you'll benefit with good health, good relationships, and self-esteem. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. The benefits of spiritually conscious living start now. For a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential, tune in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
truly understand the laws of the universe and live a life based on these profound and unwavering truths, then your dream life starts today. No more waiting. No more wandering. If you're ready to let go of the striving and move into the allowing, you're ready for everyday attraction on Unity Online Radio. We study the teaching of Abraham given to us by beautiful Esther Hicks so we can release confusion for clarity, exchange struggle for serenity, and have the time of our lives today. Join host Ray Zander every Friday at noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Unity Online Radio for Everyday Attraction, where the law of attraction gets real. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. 